We believe that true success in every domain of life and work begins with a vision and a plan. I'm Michael Counts. And I'm Sarah Ellis Conan, and we are the founders of A Plan Coaching. And you're listening to All You Need is a Plan. A podcast that explores how we can get the most out of life and work in the midst of more and more complicated and challenging times. Each week, we'll bring you guests who represent success stories at companies and organizations of all shapes and sizes. As well as thought leaders at the forefront of business and the wellness economy. So the purpose of this podcast is to share and explore stories of personal and organizational achievement. Ranging from how a company can change its culture and transform into the next phase of its evolution and succeed in new ways, to how a filmmaker can have a vision for a new project and realize it despite all the complexities, challenges, and difficulties that stand in the way, to how two creative partners can build a business and become an award-winning architectural firm, and how a new mom can see a need and launch a small nonprofit that grows into one of the largest diaper banks in the U.S., and many more. Knowing that achievement is really an inside job, we'll look at how habits are formed and obstacles overcome how organizational systems are put together, and how goals are set and explained, how successful teams are structured and managed, how people are supported to bring their best, and how challenges to team and group dynamics are mitigated so that the toxicity that can sometimes exist in a culture doesn't rule the day. So in this podcast, all you need is a plan. We're going to explore how things get done, big and small, in companies and organizations of all shapes and sizes, and the role that coaching and other tools have in supporting the achievement of individual and organizational goals. With that in mind, let's get to it. Welcome back to All You Need is a Plan. After a little more than a six-month break following the production of season one, we're back with a long-sought and very special episode that we felt was important enough to produce and share with you all in advance of our relaunch in season two. I'm joined today by my partner, Brian Gadston, who is both a founding A-Plan coach, as well as our head of racial equity and strategy, and our guest, Marcus Walton, who, among many things that we'll get into in a minute, is the executive director of Grantmakers for Effective Organizations, also known in the philanthropic industry as GEO. The relevance of that and A-Plan Coaching's mission of serving and supporting changemakers will become clear as we get into this conversation. We've been after this episode for a long time, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to have you both. Welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. All right, a little bit of a quick background. The topic we're going to get into today something I know that you both believe in very deeply, is the idea of coaching as a tool, maybe one of the most effective tools in the effort at organizations, big and small, to operationalize racial equity, which I have to say when hearing you guys initially talk about it was an idea that I found to be inspiring, practical, and of critical importance to so much of the work that we're all extremely committed to. So with that little bit of framing and the topic and agenda for today, I'd love to get a little background on you both too to set the stage for the conversation. Let's start with you, Marcus. Give us a little background on GEO, which I understand you joined just last year, and also a bit of background overall, like what drives you and your work and so on. So turn it over to you. Okay, thank you. A little bit about GEO and then myself. And Michael, I appreciate all of this. I do believe that all we need is a plan to get us to where we want to go, right? But in order to use a plan, we have to know uh, where we are. We have to have a clear sense of where we are as well as where we want to be. So the plan is what gets us from where we are to where we want to be. I love that because GEO inside of the philanthropic sector serves a similar purpose, especially since the onset of 2020, everyone kind of globally sheltering in place, 
really being shocked into an awakening around violence, around a kind of historical sense of discrimination, all of the isms, right? And just a political and social sense of desperation and turmoil, right? It's just some tumultuous times over the last couple of years that have made people feel a little less clear about what's happening right now and how might we reimagine a better way of being. GEO is an institution, it's a platform as a membership association, an association of leaders of philanthropy and those related to philanthropy that are advancing a kind of social change that represents a progression towards a collective thriving, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. So in, in very practical terms, we're a community of grant makers who've come together to transform philanthropic culture to support the individual grantees as well as the communities that we serve to thrive, right? To collectively do better, right? But our work is about supporting individual grant makers, donors, uh, folks that work within institutional philanthropy to have deeper impact with their work. Right. How can we be more effective uh, with the limited resources that we have available? We're always making trade-offs, right? We can always be using resources in different ways. How do we take what we have and produce the optimal results from that work? And so what we do that's related to coaching, and I love the principle of coaching. In this conversation, I want to really challenge us to appreciate that language is limited in so many ways, right? Hmm. In some ways, mm -hmm. at this point, I, I, I can't stand the term coaching. It's just so <laughs> restricting to me, right? Because what we're really doing is creating a kind of spaciousness. We're challenging each other, but in a way that invites us to explore a different way to make sure that we're not just operating from the most practical way of doing things, maybe the, what we have learned right? Mm -hmm. But keeping space open for possibilities, right? And that kind of spaciousness is not just a randomness, but it's a discipline around spaciousness. It's a discipline around checking our assumptions, around understanding what's informing our thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same when it comes to the platform of GL. We're saying as this group of folks who have already come together around this desire to serve with impact, we're saying, how are you thinking about that work? What is informing your beliefs around what's effective? Mm -hmm. And so what we, a couple of things that will overlap with our work as coaches are, are critical to our approach. One is that we believe that relationships, generative relationships, how you establish them, with whom you establish them, to what extent they are leveraged and connected to very explicit goals. And we like to say conditions of satisfaction, right? But as a result of this relationship, what do we hope happens that didn't happen before? Those are the kinds of questions. Those are the, the ways in which we curate spaces within the philanthropic sector to produce these results that are just more fulfilling and meaningful for the folks involved. And whether you're a grantee, whether you're a person in the community who is receiving this work or whether you're an individual inside of a grant-making institution. And as a coach, I had the pleasure of meeting Brian in 2008. Goodness gracious. Uh, and, you know, we were having dinner. It was just like this, right? We were having dinner. Uh, we just had this really dynamic day. It was probably eight hours of just being immersed in this conversation. And it had us all over the place, but they were challenging our thinking in a way that I was just alluding to a little bit. And Brian and I said, you know, what would be possible if we applied this to Black leaders, right? To leaders within our communities who at the time were seeing things like counseling as it still had a stigma attached to it. Like mm -hmm. the mental health didn't have the same kind of openness and welcoming association that we see now. 
And so we saw this thing called coaching as a way to approach some of the issues that were persistent in communities around the nation, all different mm. types, but especially within Black communities in particular ways, and groups within those Black populations, Black males in particular. That was a big conversation at the time. Men and boys of color, the Obama administration, we did work that fed into that movement at the time. But we, we asked ourselves, what would it be like if we applied these same coaching principles then. And so we committed to each other in 2008 to support each other. We had a vision. We wrote on the paper. It was it was those kind of white linen places, but it was a big old piece of butcher paper. And we mapped it out and we stuck to it. And, and we've never had a gap. I mean, for several years, it was on a weekly basis that we had conversations. And Brian has helped me grow professionally. He's helped me matriculate through several layers of um, what moving up the career ladder, but it also mm-hmm. has been a real partner in our families. We've grown families together. We've uh, moved to different cities. And so we really just took the essence of what we were talking about with this spaciousness, with this creating uh, space to bring our best forward and work optimally to dream together and then to take that plan, move from where we were to how we wanted to be, kind of live the aspirational life that we always consider right now. Wow. Well, it's so awesome to hear all that, Marcus. I mean, I know, I didn't actually know that you guys went all the way back to 2008 together and, and where some of this, you know, the kind of vision for the, the, what we're talking about and the work that you guys had done together was sort of originated then. It's awesome. And you are certainly living it, man. And that's been an inspiration to me knowing you both. Brian, I'd love to just turn it over to you, man. You've been such an advocate. And I feel like the, the flag I see you waving around this idea of operationalizing equity is something that's so critical to our mission at A-Plan and the work that you've brought to us. I just love to just hear your perspective on the relationship and the vision that Marcus was just outlining. And then specifically, maybe we can use that as a transition into this idea of operationalizing some of those ideas and that vision specifically. I appreciate you aging me, bro. Uh, and, and aging our relationship. Wisdom. Wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Wisdom. Wisdom. It, it has been quite a transformational journey for me and us over the last uh, 15, wow, 15 mm. years. You know, as as you talk, I just remember feeling like I was in transformation when I was with you and talking with you. And I, I too, with the coaching definition, it feels limited because I feel like coaches create the possibility for folks to dream and folks to practice being their best self. I struggle with language too, because it's not just the coaching, it's the creation of a safe space for transformation. Yes. And that that's where people stumble in, in words, or at least, at least I stumble with words, but the coaching part of things for me is critical because what we talked about and dreamed about that day was truly the creation of a lifestyle and a way of being that we aspired to. And in a lot of ways, people only get that experience in intimate conversations over dinner with like a trusted friend. And we were dreaming that day about how can we get a lot more people, Black people in particular, into this space for us to leave behind the way that quote unquote we were or we are and move into a a space that we aspire to be in. 
you know, at, at a plan, it feels like that is what our coaches are creating the opportunity or the possibility for individuals to be in that space. And as we are working with individuals and their organizations, we are also trying to create the possibility for organizations to move into that space. You know, as you so rightly said, back in 2008, I think Obama was the only one that was talking about being that, that word audacity, yeah. Yeah. right? Mm. And I remember us talking about audacity and, and dreaming about audacity and what would that really look like? And here okay. we are now, 13 years later, is that the right math? 15 years, 15 years later, Finish. seeing and experiencing the change or the possibility of change. For me, it makes the most sense now that everybody would have a coach um, to be mm -hmm. able to have the spaciousness to dream again and That's to right. practice being in this space together and build together. So I'm, I'm excited to have you on this podcast because I know you represent so many people, so many change makers who are trying to create new conditions of satisfaction for themselves yeah. and their organizations. Yes, sir. Thank you. You know, what, one thing I just want to jump in and underscore, I guess, is, you know, something that's really struck me personally in my own experience with coaching and, and starting and growing a plan and seeing the impact we're having with individuals and seeing sort of coaching starting to scale, mm -hmm. seeing our impacted organizations is just this simple idea that ultimately so much change in organizations, change in cultures, change in societies, it's embodied to me in the idea of like, it's an inside job. It's it's an inside job. It's work that we have to do personally. And when we were together recently, listeners, Geo hosted their national conference in Chicago last month and we were all there. And, you know, it's session after session, big and small keynotes, plenary breakouts. I felt like the theme that I kept hearing was it's an inside job, sustainability, mm -hmm. vision, you know, moving from, you know, hustle to flow. Right. Mm -hmm. ideas that were presented by Dr. Jen Wright. It, it's like that to me is where coaching connects, right? It's like, it's what gives us that time, that moment, that spaciousness, as you're saying, to work on the inside job that is really required for us to choose, I think, to show up as our authentic selves, to have that courage, to have, you know, to use Obama's word, that audacity to show up as our authentic selves what that takes, the risks associated with that in many organizations and how you can be invited, but ultimately every participant has to decide. And to me, that's the inside job. I'd love to hear more about kind of, you know, that as a theme at Geo, but also just how you guys see that manifesting where that's almost to me like prerequisite for this idea of operationalizing kind of yeah. anything. Like people have to show up as their authentic selves with the plan and the willingness to move it forward. Yeah, I'll, I'll speak a little bit to that. I, I really appreciate this topic because one of the ways in which I've used or relied on coaching in terms of my practice is to really keep the conversation at the appropriate altitude. And so by that, I mean, make sure that we're not quibbling in the smallness of things to the extent that we miss the big picture, right? And so in some ways it distinguishes and coaching really helps with making distinctions. That's just one example. One of the distinctions that recurs through GEO and all of the work that I've done in the sector is around management versus leadership, right? Mm. Uh, and I love that distinction because management is a science. It has a body of literature that goes deep into the early 1900s, right? It's connected to the Industrial Revolution. It's within an organizational context or a sectoral one. 
And you can refer back to example after example of what people have learned over time to inform your practice today, right? In some ways, it's about efficiency, efficiently applying these principles that have evolved over time. Well, mm-hmm. coaching really acknowledges and celebrates evolution, right? Change. And really, it emphasizes through practice the opportunity to facilitate change. It's acknowledge, notice it, accept it. Don't resist it, but approach it and, and interact with it in such a way that we can direct it toward the kinds of results that align with our vision, our values, our connection to purpose. That's just a very practical way of thinking about it. And so when you turn it into how you were describing this, the inside job, I think about accountability. There's a big terms that are being used now across sectors. Accountability is one. There's a sense from folks, especially the next generation of leaders coming into these different spaces. They want to create work environments that feel differently than perhaps the ones that we started out in, right? Mm-hmm. The rules are being revisited and a lot of managers are being pulled into conversations where there's an expectation for change, right? Things have to be different. You can't refer back to the literature to do it, right? To get to where you want to be. And so this is where leadership is required. This is where coaching is so effective because it Mm. supports the individual with stepping outside of one's comfort zone, away from what's familiar and what is practiced to the point where we have developed habits around it to what Brian was saying, like being aware of our way of being and adjusting, shifting our mindset and our attitude to meet the moment, to meet what's being Mm. required of us in any particular moment. And that, Mm -hmm. Michael and Brian, is liberating liberation. That's freeing in a way that we hear in some of the racial justice spaces and quite frankly, some of the political spaces where people are fighting for rights that they feel like are being now reversed and challenged in very real legal conversations. And so we're in a particular point in time, the evolution of our nation, if you will. For me, the altitude that I now operate from is what is the society that we want to live in? What are the characteristics of that society? What kind of neighbor do I want to be for my other neighbors who I haven't gotten a chance to know yet, but I am interested in discovering how we can form the kinds of relationships that are based on trust in order to facilitate change around a shared set of purpose, a shared set of values toward a shared vision for our collective thriving. Like this is very personal as well as very practical inside of our professional spaces, but still transformational in how we have to think. It's not enough to simply refer to things that have happened before and replicate them in different ways. Yes, that has worked in other spaces, but the moment now that we're being called into is particularly connected to the change in our demographics around the nation, the change in the conversations that I just mentioned has been an awakening. There were a lot of people reading up, catching up on the history, like, oh, we took this for granted. Oh my gosh, we thought things were different. Well, now we know. And so I like to say, Michael and Brian, we're in a reckoning moment within our professional institutions. What do you stand for? Like people want to know, what do you stand for? Technology has made it such that everyone has a platform, right? And so the level of accountability is different. And we're thinking about how we're revisiting how we respond to expectations as institutions. GEO is a community of leaders who are interested in that conversation, who are exploring possibilities as a collective tapping into the the group's collective genius in order to produce really innovative and new ways of being 
to integrate those principles, like that operationalizing is about integration. How do we take a theory and make it real? How do we live the things that we believe? Well, a coach helps us be clear of our patterns. And so if I'm not living what I say I believe, then it becomes apparent and brought back to my attention inside of this kind of relationship that Brian laid out. And so I too believe that every individual, regardless of your station, your place within a hierarchy, even inside of a family unit, can benefit from this kind of reflective, supportive uh, relationship. And at GEO, we'd be explicit about promoting this as an effective practice for grant makers of all types, people connected to institutional philanthropy in all types of different ways. We believe that if you have a particular stance, believe in a set of values, you're looking to integrate those with audacity, with the broadest set of possibilities and not just in the most practical ways, the tweaks. Like now is not Mm. the time for tweaking. Now is the time for transformation. And a coach is an ideal tool or relationship for supporting that kind of change. Mm -hmm. Mark, as I hear you talking about change, I think about the language. I just think a lot about operationalizing equity, which I think are big words for people. That's right. And I think that coaching creates a space for folks to slow down and wrestle with that and test out and be curious about what that really means for individuals and what that really means for organizations. As I hear you bring that passion and that vision into GEO, I'm wondering what you've noticed as you are starting to test out that language and lead an organization's shift of their lens into that kind of practice. Yeah, I appreciate that question. And I totally agree. This idea of slowing down and being present is what it's all about, right? We like to use the term grappling. And so what, what I find is that when moving from theory to practice, there's an inclination to think externally about what needs to happen out there. And then when we get into a more specific conversation, right, like you were doing, Brian, really explicit when we slow down and we talk about, well, what's required to get from A to B and then B to C, and then wherever that end goal is, when we start laying out a plan, it involves someone taking responsibility for that facilitation. And then it becomes I. So how might I shift my mindset? What might I do that's different? Notice I asked how might I shift first before I get to the doing? Because if I'm only thinking about getting to the destination, then I overlook this whole notion of forming the kind of generative relationships that translate to a collective impact somewhere down the line. This grappling is both an internal process. I'm challenging myself to be aware of my patterns. And then I'm choosing patterns that serve me better in a particular moment. And I'm releasing those that don't serve me in the way that I want to be going forward, my aspirational way of being. And in the moment people get into that, the moment they realize, oh my gosh, this is a lot of work. First, it's a lot of work. So This is not going to happen within the two-month timeline that I had envisioned originally, right? We always, we tend to operate on these these timelines that are somewhat arbitrary, but based upon traditional, conventional ways of doing things. 
that really, quite frankly, make it easier for the grant maker in our case. But now we're saying like, oh, I have to take time. I have to allow time to understand myself, this discovery process, to understand the people with whom we're working. So like, I don't have a strong relationship with the people in these communities that we're serving. That's a very mm-hmm. common thread. Like, oh my goodness, even with the grantees, there's a power imbalance. And so conversations around power, which I'll just define in the most practical terms as ability to thrive, right? Ability to access the resources and relationships required for thriving. When the imbalance is there, I then have to be accountable for how I am using power to facilitate the kind of change in a way that doesn't only serve me, but moves the entire group forward. And so operationalizing at its core through our practice at GEO and within the sector has shown that progress is defined more by all of us moving together as opposed to me as an individual getting closer to my individual goal. It's a both and, but Mm -hmm. that collective moving together in the same direction around a set of values and a shared sense of purpose is really what gets us to being able to imagine a new vision for thriving, a collective vision, a generative expression of our highest aspirations for the sector and for society. Like it sounds really high and lofty, but it always lands in how might I shift my thinking in order to see myself as a facilitator of that kind of change. Well, that point, Marcus, is to me, I think what I find most compelling about this conversation and really in in some ways coaching in general, which is like where the rubber hits the road, like what are we going to do differently? Like what are the specific challenges, not in an abstract or theoretical way? And I think about it sometimes like, you know, I hear people on my own journey personally too, is like, I want to get healthy, right? Like that, that's like Mm -hmm. abstract, distant, Mm -hmm. big goal. Mm-hmm. purpose, et cetera, backing that up to like, what am I going to eat for breakfast? Right. What am I going to do? Am I going to walk today? You know what I mean? Like, what are the blind spots? Where am I eating too much sugar and not even thinking about? Like, I don't mean to liken the two things, but I think it's a very practical example where you see like so. the biggest cliche thing to say, but like the biggest journey to the ultimate goal, like starts with a single step. What is the next right action that we're taking as an individual? What are my personal blind spots? What are the habits that I have that keep some behaviors entrenched that I need to change? And as an organization, what are some conversations that need to be had? What are some habits that we have interacting, you know, like giving and receiving feedback. Like at A-Plan, we do all kinds of, you know, trainings around very practical, specific things like giving and receiving feedback, where it's, it's about like, that's where a lot of inequity and imbalance and where blind spots show up. Often in interactions and relationships between people where they're just giving feedback or receiving feedback or not receiving feedback or communicating in a way that maybe is manifesting certain legacy ways of behaving. And I think like that's the piece where I hear operationalizing anything is like, let's bake it down to the core behaviors that we're going to focus on today, because those are the ways that we actually get to the bigger purpose, right? And and I feel like that's the piece that to me is so compelling about this conversation and the work that you're doing and we're doing and was talked about at GEO in so much depth. Yeah, I don't know if the two of you know, but there's at least one foundation, won't name the name because I didn't ask for permission to talk about this, but who has said, you know, we're going to create racial equity coaches and provide them to every employee inside of the organization, right? And that is the first example. This just happened in the last year. It's the first example of any such action that I've ever heard, ever 
inside of our sector. There are hundreds of thousands of grant-making entities in the philanthropic sector. And there's one entity that I know of, and there may be more, but certainly it doesn't represent a majority. And so what that says to me, when I reflect on the question of Brian and what it's looked like for Geo, it says to me that first, I have an opportunity to model something for our colleagues, right? And so once again, it comes back to the individual, right? All the big level, high altitude, audacious thinking comes back to what might I model through my way of being? Mm -hmm. And how can we as an organization reflect something for the field to learn from? And so we focus over the last two years on our internal culture development, as well as our board development. And it has been a dynamic shift where others were changing their grant-making practices. We shifted our policies and practices and social norms, communication in the exact way you just described, Michael, that required a lot of learning for all involved, myself included. And so it's the evolution. It's now understanding that, oh, if we want to support this progress that's defined by a group of us moving together, then perhaps, for example, it doesn't serve us best to point out the things that people need to know or may be doing wrong, for example, mm. right? So definitions and concepts alone, the kind of teacher showing up doesn't necessarily get us to where we want to go. It's helpful. We need mm -hmm. to introduce concepts and frameworks and tools, and we have to learn about them, but that alone won't shift our mindset. What we understand is that there's some facilitation involved, like meeting people where they are is another way of describing this, right? Mm -hmm. So if we are to meet people where they are, it means that we have to have an awareness. We have to start with an appreciation and an interest in understanding what are the patterns of this individual? What is this institution struggling with? Mm -hmm. With what are they grappling? And then how might we support that and help move them toward imagining a different set of possibilities for their work? And so now you have to, a facilitative kind of a coach, plus someone that's grounded in the principles, the tools, the other resources to advance change in a way that's aligned with our vision and values is actually what the field is grappling with right now. And that's an organization, as GEO. We are bringing in folks, coaches, to support our staff to develop the competencies over the next year or so through daily practice, through mm -hmm. reflection and feedback from each other, through establishing generative relationships where we can support each other to be accountable to the things that we commit to. Like we make promises to each other. Without a mm -hmm. promise, there's nothing that you can hold me to. But following through on the promise becomes the way that I generate trust, that I build trust. And we find that that applies across the board in any kind of context, right? Where we're short of promises and we're just making those declarations or I'm telling you what needs to happen. No one's owning that. And quite frankly, I'm not inviting you into anything. I'm not changing the depth of our relationship. I'm not even interacting with you in a way that says I am honoring something that you have to bring that's mm -hmm. valuable. And so we can get way past the different variables that characterize or define our identities. And at some level, this is about appreciating what is it about our collective humanity that we can connect and dig into, that we can free, right, maybe dormant, but untapped. Let's tap into that collective humanity and then apply that in such a way that it's supporting a plan, right? Mm -hmm. Because a plan is what we need to help to get from where we are to where we want to be. Brian, you want to jump in? Yeah. Anytime I talk to Marcus, I have to slow myself down 
because uh, it's important for me to stay in curiosity and make sure that I'm really understanding what I'm hearing. And kind of back to the question I asked you, Marcus, I'm also really curious about, and you just spoke about it a little bit, what have you learned as a leader? Like, what are you still challenged in practicing as a leader as you're trying to operationalize equity or do that internal work? Because I know there are some people that really need a little bit of a window on what that path is going to look like for them. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering if you might be willing to be a little vulnerable with us to talk about what you noticed, um, what you've learned and what you are learning. Yeah, no, thank you. Let's just jump right into a nice little box. Let's let's do it for real, as opposed to me on some kind of pedestal. Let's let's climb into the vortex together, Brian, and, and just make it real time. Let's 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 demonstrate something for the folks. Okay. Um, I came into Geo, it'll be three years in August, with a vision for how this organization could facilitate the kind of institutional change that it was going through at the time, just after the transition of my predecessor, who was a founding uh, executive, right? And it involved all kinds of different components of going to be out on the road and talking to different members, right? And then things dramatically changed. Six and a half months later, sheltering in place, so there's no traveling anywhere. And then I didn't get a chance to talk to any of the members. We had 500 plus members, organizations. I'd only gotten to a handful of them and been able to do some broad communications to help people understand what to expect. And so there's something, Brian, about allowing myself the time to, and I don't know how this sounds to folks, but to grieve, like to feel the loss of like, oh, man, I had all these plans. Oh, it was so good. It was solid. I could feel so confident about that. And to then start to accept how scary it felt. Like, damn, oh, I don't know really what to do. I, did, I didn't feel a sense of desperation because I had my coaching support in place. I had some mentors, right? Some folks that had said, Marcus, if you take this position, we got your back, right? But I had to learn how to really connect with those people. I had to really go back and say like, hey, I need you. Help me understand how you do this. How do you work with a board? Like, I don't want to learn the wrong way to do a board so I can unlearn it and we can explore, you know, a better way, a way that's more fulfilling for both parties. I want to learn this in a way that's transformative right off the bat. And so there are all these time frames I had to give myself that were longer perhaps in my mind, then they quote unquote should be, which is never real. It's my own assessment mm -hmm. of things. And I just had to identify those shoulds, all the shoulds I was telling myself and reconcile those things, man. I had to say, you know what? Here's what I think we can do now. After talking to these people, I can hear themes. One of the themes was set expectations that are reasonable and ask people for help. And so I had to go to the board and say like, hey, I think this is going to take X amount of time instead of Y amount of time. Things are changing so quickly. I can't even grasp what it is, how this is impacting individuals in the institutions. What we know are that people are desperate, right? Now, desperate is a very specific word. It means there was an intensified sense of not knowing what to do, of uncertainty. Yeah that I was now responsible as the steward of this organization and 20 plus employees looking for direction and guidance. And so the first thing I had to do is grapple with that ego, man. I had to start to ask myself, how much of this am I trying to fix 
fix as opposed to what Dr. Jim Wright talked about, setting the conditions for folks to realize their own, fulfill their own vision for thriving. And I had to learn how to do that. And I continue to learn how to do that. I was, you talk about failing fast, right? I had to allow mistakes, making mistakes to be a regular part of my process, but I had to invite people into the people who are directly connected to that experience. Board members had to now agree to make mistakes with me. Staff had to both make demands of me and agree to allow for time for us to develop relationships that were not simply based on these transactions. And it required me to remain present. I couldn't retreat and come back in and retreat and come back in. I could ask for that, but it needed to be in a relationship where we were building trust. And so that's where I learned that, wow, I need to first make promises to folks. Right. So I commit to doing these things or listening to you before I speak. I commit to considering your insights from your perspective and then integrating that into a plan for moving forward that you'll be a part of. Right. It's just a different way of us doing this. Mm-hmm. And I had to make requests to them. And I had to say, I need you to show up in a way where mistakes are going to be something that we allow. It was tough because some people had an idea like, oh, you are the one with all the power. You're supposed to be a particular kind of way. And I had to say not so. So let's instead adopt a practice of grappling when we come at these things from different points of view. And we needed to get help for that. I had to bring in resources, consultants to support that conversation, to facilitate those series of conversations. And we had to move things around. We had to create positions that didn't exist anymore. And we had to eliminate certain groups, meetings that were taking place historically, traditionally, because they no longer served us. And we mm-hmm. continue to look for ways to do that. And it's, it's powerful. It can be painful. And I continue to shift my thinking around even how I think about pain. I'm looking at how much am I resisting this thing, right? To what extent might I even approach the thing that I just referred to, as the, the dynamic of painful in a different way. So staying in there is is what coaching has really helped me do. Shifting my mindset in real time, communicating how I feel. So even in that, still being able to say to folks, hey, this hurts. I don't know if if my colleagues, my peers leading organizations feel that they have the permission to say, this hurts. I need a moment. I hear you and I'm going to reflect on that. I'll come back to you in 24 hours, right? But this is a different way that we are modeling. And that for me, I've never had anyone model for me. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that vulnerability, Marcus. Thanks for that, that invitation. I think, Marcus, everything you just shared and that vulnerability, I'm, I'm reminded of Brian and I were at a breakout and we we're hearing the leadership of the Harlem Children's Zone talking about Mm-hmm. their own transformation mm-hmm. in the moment of the pandemic starting and new leadership that had just taken over. Brian asked a question about like, what were some of the personal inside, like what was the inside job going on for you at that moment? It was like, I was terrified that I was going to like destroy the company that I had just been brought in to solve yeah. all the personal fear, the ego, the vulnerability that everyone's watching, the am I, you know, the imposter syndrome that shows up for all of us. And I'm just reminded of one how it's an inside job to like how it takes a community and the, and the accountability that you were pointing to earlier, Marcus, and that we have to work, you know, individually, of course, 
and together to affect change in any reasonable way that's going to have any lasting effect and how much coaching on many different levels of that equation sort of support and encourage that growth really from from making the space to creating the accountability to the practical like how do you design the steps forward and how do you make you know a plan to pursue change and operationalize it We've gone on a while. I feel like we could we could spend the next hour, you know, continuing to sort of peel this onion down. Sure. I just want to kind of acknowledge one the work that you're both doing and how you know proud I am, Brian, to work with you and to support you in all the ways that I can. And Marcus, our admiration for Geo, your support of A Plan as an advisor, all the ways that we work together and support each other. It's you know I know that this is sort of a change over time, but just mm-hmm. to know that you guys are in it committed to it at the front line, you know, bringing visionary leadership to it gives me a lot of hope for all the things we've discussed. And, you know, it's the reason that A plans in business, you know, we, we support change makers and we want to, yes, you know, help facilitate the changes that those visionary leaders and visionary organizations can do to improve our culture, our society, our world. You know, with that said, and in consideration of time, anything that you guys would like to say by way of wrap up as kind of parting thoughts to put put a bow on all this discussion today? Yeah, let me leave you with the final word. I have something that's just really, I think, uh, apropos for this moment. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you. One is what I was describing is there, there's a narrative, right? What, what we didn't talk about today is how much coaching helps us identify the narratives that are informing our behavior. Right. Mm. And we live in the language of the story. We live these stories. And so we can tell a different story and influence our behavior with a new empowering dynamic story. And that Mm -hmm. is the story of my ascension into this role. It is very real and it's shared across a broad community of folks because so many different people on so many levels have helped me. The difference over the past couple of years is truly shifting away from all the things that I have learned and what I know in from that experience into allowing what I don't know to pull me forward. The impact and depth of what's possible is in the unknown. It's truly moving in the direction of uncertainty and saying to this group of folks who share these values and principles that we have outlined, Hey, this way, we got each other. That's all we need. As long as we have each other, we're good. And let's move in the way that we've agreed upon through these promises that we've made to each other. And providing people with the support they need in that invitation has been the most transformative experience for me. The biggest act of vulnerability that I have been able to practice and the thing that I will offer to peers and colleagues who are feeling the kinds of desperation and the emotions that you described from the Harlem Children's Zone example. It's this not knowing. We don't know more than we actually know. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so there's much more available to us in possibility by moving into that unknown space. And I've been the most effective when I allow myself to do that with the support of others, right? And so I, I just felt like it was really important to say that. And, and the last thing I'll say is that I mentioned our collective humanity because when we talk about equity, we have to accept certain constructs, right? These categories of race, these categories of sexual orientation, these categories of gender that are being challenged and that are shifting. They have certainly shifted from 30 years ago to now. There are different ways in which people are identifying themselves. 
there's a way to apply this not knowing this collective movement for groups who feel like they are the ones that are being left out, right? I feel like there's there's a moment today, there's an opportunity for us to identify the ways in which those of us who have access to this power that we were talking about, we all have power on the individual level, but also within institutions associated with our positions. How can we leverage that power to invite those who may have felt excluded marginalized, isolated due to these categories to experience relationships in a different way and create space for them to share what they have to contribute. There's more to be contributed into the conversations that we've been holding collectively. And there has been less of a track record of us being explicit about seeing to these folks who may have felt excluded hey, what is it that you'd like to contribute to this shared vision for thriving? It is going to look different right now. People are afraid and we're here to support you through that process of uncertainty as things become clearer through revelation. That's the opportunity that I am representing today and that I, I have used coaching and trust coaching to support us through as a society. And I'm so looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. Thanks for saying that, Marcus, because as we started off talking about the limits of language, it, it feels like you just described the spaciousness that coaching affords you and to grapple with the change that you're trying to aspire to. And that coaching provides that spaciousness for you to move through your own journey, to make sense of it, and to inspire yourself to continue to step out and be vulnerable. Yeah, not um, get it right. And and invite people to follow you, right? Yes, sir. Um, That's right. And then to hold it with care, like, not just to say, come on, like like in the movies, like, yeah, <laughs> let's go. No, it's, it's to say like, hey, this is tricky. This is scary for me. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what to do next. So we're going to take this one step together and see what is clearer. And mm -hmm. then let's take this next step together and see what else we can see, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's that. The more of us that are taking that step together, the more we can actually see. Yeah. It's a broader aperture. Yeah. And so that is the way forward that I have experienced over the past 15 years mm -hmm. through uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a leap. It's not just one step. Yep. Sometimes it's a sideways step and not a forward step. But as we often have said together, it's keeping it moving. Yep. Right? What does it look like for us to keep it moving? And so for my folks that are in rural communities who may have identified as white or with whiteness or all the different tricky racial dynamics or folks who feel like their gender has been something that has been under attack. What I'm saying is, how might we interact in a way where you can contribute the thing that you have felt like was unwelcome? Mm -hmm. to the mix right now so that we can reimagine what's possible for this nation in a way that feels like you're being held differently and you're being heard differently, right? Mm -hmm. So we can move together differently toward the direction that feels like all of us thriving. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I appreciate yeah. this. Yeah. Operating from the aspirational vision. Yeah, bro. This has been an honor to hear you. There's something about our relationship in which I want to honor, which is what we do is we also just show up and keep That's showing right. up. That's right. And I think there's a power to just keep showing up regardless right. of the circumstances, because those things, those circumstances change every day. But the showing up part of things 
is what coaching affords the opportunity just to show up and continue yeah. to show up for each other. Oh, that's right. Well, I want to honor your time and not close down this podcast and just really appreciate your vulnerability and pr- appreciate your honesty and uh, just look forward to the next conversation around the next set of circumstances, knowing that we are aligned going towards the, the higher aspiration. Yeah, Brian, I'd be remiss if I didn't say how much I appreciate uh, the ways in which you have shown up and allowed me to show up without judgment. Gratitude is the word that I was going to name. And I hear it thrown around like vulnerability and some of these other things, but it truly is in addition to showing up, showing up with a mindset of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to close out with that same gratitude. Thank you. Thank the team at A-Plan. And I can only be hopeful when we have these kinds of conversations because so much is possible. Thank you, brother. Thanks for joining us for All You Need is a Plan. If you'd like to learn more about what A-Plan Coaching can do for your team or organization, check out our website, aplancoaching.com. Connect with us on social media or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening.